Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving with family and friends and you had some time to reflect upon all the reasons why you ought to be thankful. But even if Thanksgiving didn't go the way you wanted it to go, even if your Thanksgiving day was spent in tension or sadness, even if Thanksgiving didn't live up to your expectations, we still have reasons to give thanks as believers in Jesus Christ. And the rock-solid reason that we have to be thankful is because Jesus loves us, because he has forgiven us of all of our sins, because he has promised to be with us and for us by his Spirit, and he has promised that all things in our lives, the good, the bad, the hard, all of it will work together for our ultimate good. And he has also promised that one day he will bring us safely home to his heavenly kingdom where we will live with him forever in that place where there is no more sadness, no more sickness, and no more death. So even if your Thanksgiving day was lousy and hard, we still, as believers in the gospel, have reason to give thanks. Amen? Amen. Uh, we're studying the book of Acts this year, and the purpose of the study is to study the early church as we find it in the book of Acts so that we might learn what it means to be the church, a kind of church that honors Christ, the kind of church that is a blessing uh, to our city. And the title of today's sermon is The Salvation of Cornelius. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 10, and we're going to read the entire chapter. Now, we're about to read the story of Cornelius, and this is one of the most important stories in the book of Acts. In fact, it's so important that Luke uh, repeats this same story almost verbatim in chapter 11. And the reason why this story is so important is because Cornelius and his family and friends are the first non-Jews, the first Gentiles in the book of Acts to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, and to be saved. In fact, uh, chapter 10 is really a pivoting point, pivotal point in the story that we find in the book of Acts. So, people of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful <clears throat> attention? At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God. With all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms are, have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who had spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related, related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four, four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted, lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him, raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people. And to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcision, from the circumcised who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Whew, that was long. <laughs> I need some water. The story of Cornelius shows us two important, two important truths about the gospel, and they will be the two points of my sermon today. First, the gospel is for the whole world. And second, everyone needs the gospel, even so-called good people. So first, the gospel is for the whole world. From the very beginning of the book of Acts, the risen Lord Jesus told his apostles and the early church that they would be his witnesses. First, in Jerusalem. Second, in Judea and Samaria. And third, to the ends of the earth. But the apostles and the early church didn't quite understand the Lord Jesus' heart for the whole world. So they remained in Jerusalem and they only preached the gospel to Jews. And it was great because many Jews were hearing the gospel, they were being saved, but the apostles and the early church had no plans on leaving Jerusalem. So God, in his wisdom, sovereignty, and love, used persecution to scatter the early church from Jerusalem and to send them into Judea and Samaria, where the racially mixed half-Jews lived. And as they went and resettled in Samaria, they preached the gospel there. And so racially mixed half-Jews were able to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and they were saved. And in today's story, we finally have the Apostle Peter taking the gospel to Gentiles, to non-Jews, to fully non-Jewish people, and they represented the ends of the earth. But it took divine intervention for the Apostle Peter to realize and to be convinced that the gospel was not just for Jews or for half-Jews, but for the whole world, including Gentiles. Now, it's hard for us to understand the hatred and the uh, disdain that Jews had for Gentiles at that time. Uh, Bible scholar John Stott said this, It is difficult for us to grasp the impassable gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles on the other. Not that the Old Testament countenanced such a divide. It affirmed that God had a purpose for the Gentiles. By choosing and blessing the Jews, he intended to bless all the families of the earth. The tragedy was that Israel twisted this doctrine of election into one of favoritism, became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised the Gentiles as dogs, and developed traditions that kept them apart. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile. And all familiar intercourse with Gentiles was forbidden, and no pious Jew would, of course, have sat down at the table of a Gentile. You see, the Apostle Peter was taught his whole life by his Jewish parents, 
by his Jewish community to be racially prejudiced against the Gentiles and to view them as unclean dogs who were to be disdained and to be avoided at all costs. So how did God intervene to help the Apostle Peter overcome his deep-seated racism against the Gentiles and to show him that the gospel was for the whole world? even for Gentiles. Well, God did three things to help Peter overcome his racism against the Gentiles. First, God showed Peter a vision. And in that vision, Peter saw a great sheet coming down from heaven. And on that sheet were animals, all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, both clean and unclean animals. And God said, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no way, God, I can't do that. I've never eaten anything that's unclean because Peter knew the ceremonial laws that forbade Jews from eating unclean animals. So the thought of eating an unclean animal would have violated his conscience and it would have uh, disgusted him. But God said to Peter, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. And this vision happened three times. Because God really wanted Peter to learn and understand the lesson of this vision. Now we know from verse 28 that Peter understood that the vision of these clean and unclean animals were really just symbolic. Symbolic of people that he used to view or that he viewed as clean or unclean. You see, to the Jewish mindset, circumcised Jews were clean people and uncircumcised Gentiles were unclean people. And God's lesson for Peter in this vision was this. Stop calling any person unclean, even the Gentiles. Now, this would have shocked and disoriented Peter because he was taught his whole life to despise Gentiles as unclean and to stay away from them. But God was beginning to uproot and to dismantle the racism in Peter's heart that he had against Gentiles. Second, the Holy Spirit explicitly commanded Peter to go with the Gentiles. You see, the Holy Spirit knew that Peter would have hesitated, maybe even objected at the thought of going to the house of a Gentile because Peter knew that it was taboo, it was unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit the home of a person from another nation. So the Holy Spirit commanded Peter to go with this Gentile delegation back to Cornelius' house, even though it was a Gentile house. Because it was the Holy Spirit who had sent these men for Peter. And third, finally and climactically, God poured out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. You see, by the time Peter had gotten to Cornelius' house, he had processed the vision. And he began to understand the message of the vision. That God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. And that God was calling people from all nations into his kingdom who called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even Gentiles. So as Peter was preaching the gospel to Cornelius and to his Gentile family and to his Gentile friends who had gathered at his house to listen, what happened? The Holy Spirit fell. God poured out the Holy Spirit upon those who were hearing the word and believing the word. By pouring out the Holy Spirit on believing Gentiles, 
God was publicly and powerfully declaring that believing Gentiles belong to the church of Christ as equal members with believing Jews. And Peter said, If God has not withheld from them the Holy Spirit, then who am I to withhold from them the water of baptism? So Peter baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which publicly demonstrated and declared that these believing Gentiles are truly members of the body of Christ, just as much as believing Jews. Now, in the church of Christ, in the body of Christ, Jews and Gentiles who once hated one another, are now reconciled. Reconciled to God and now reconciled to one another. And God wanted to show Peter in a powerful and conclusive way that believing Gentiles are full members in his church. So what did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit in a way that resembled the day of Pentecost. Peter said in Acts chapter 11 verse 15, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. In other words, what happened at Cornelius' house was the Gentile Pentecost. You see, at the Jewish Pentecost, God gave the Holy Spirit in a powerful and extraordinary way, and Jewish believers are supernaturally enabled to declare the mighty deeds of God in tongues or in other human languages. And in the same way, here at the Gentile Pentecost, God gave the Holy Spirit in a powerful and extraordinary way, and Gentile believers were supernaturally enabled to extol and praise God in tongues or in other human languages. These Gentile believers did the exact same thing that the Jewish believers did on the day of Pentecost. They preached the gospel in different tongues, in different human languages, signifying that the gospel was for the whole world, for people from all over the world who spoke different languages. And God did this to show Peter and the rest of the Jewish believers that the Gentile believers were full and equal members of Christ's church along with Jewish believers. Here's what's beautiful about chapter 10. Cornelius is not the only one who's converted in this chapter. Even the apostle Peter is converted in a sense. As God led Peter to repent of his racism against the Gentiles and to receive believing Gentiles as fellow heirs and members of the family of God. And how do we know that Peter was truly converted, that he truly repented and had changed his mind about how he was viewing Gentiles? Verse 48 says that Peter stayed at Cornelius' house for many days. Peter didn't just go into the house of a Gentile for an hour. He stayed at the house of a Gentile, and he ate with Gentiles for many days. This would have been unthinkable for a Jew, and he would have been sharply criticized. In fact, in chapter 11, when Peter was criticized by other Jewish believers for staying at the house of a Gentile and for eating with Gentiles, what did Peter do? He defended the Gentiles. He said, they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and they received the Holy Spirit just like us. And if God has accepted them, then who are we to not accept them? And so, we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, when they heard these things from Peter, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads life. 
Now, before I leave this first point, I want to think about uh, Peter's words in verse 28 and consider some, uh, I think, two very important implications, especially uh, in our racially charged cultural moment. In verse 28, the Apostle Peter said, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That was not something that God showed only to Peter. That's something that God is showing to all of us who are followers of Jesus. God has shown us that we should never call any person unclean. You see, as Christians who believe in the word of God, we believe that no person is unclean. The word of God teaches that every human being is created in the image of God, and therefore every human being is infinitely precious and infinitely glorious. That means that no matter their race, no matter their skin color, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their culture, no one is unclean. No one is inferior and no one is less than anyone else in any sense. You see, any form of racism, the belief that people from a certain race are either superior or inferior, any form of racism is antithetical to the gospel. The word of God teaches that people from all races, all ethnicities, and all nations are created in the image of God, and the gospel teaches that God welcomes into his kingdom everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. Now, I think there are at least two important implications for us, for us who are Christians and for those of us who are racial minorities in majority culture. I want to just take just a few minutes to speak directly uh, to those of you who are people of color uh, and especially to those of you who are Asian American like myself. And here's the first implication. Don't view yourself as unclean. As racial minorities and majority white culture, it is easy for us to feel unclean in a way. To feel like we're somehow less than because we can't fully assimilate into and fully belong to majority culture. Many of us who are Asian Americans have felt and experienced shame over our physical appearance, over our physical features, over our culture, and even over the food that we eat as we live as racial minorities in majority culture. Now, I didn't know how to articulate it when I was younger, but I think I can now as I've gotten older and I have more categories. But I was ashamed of being Asian American growing up. I was ashamed of how I looked. I was ashamed of how my parents spoke broken English in their thick Korean accents. I was ashamed of my culture. And I was even ashamed of my smelly and strange food. I remember as a youngster, I would hate taking kimbap to school for lunch. Because my non-Korean friends would make fun of me and say, Woo, that's so gross, you're eating seaweed. And I remember thinking, what's wrong with me? Because I like gross food. I was ashamed of myself and of my racial ethnic, and cultural identity as a Korean American. And I was told, in order to be successful in America, I would have to assimilate into majority culture. But no matter how much I tried, no matter how much I tried to dress white, act white, talk white, 
I just couldn't do it. I was never able to be white enough. And I felt like I never truly belonged, and I hated myself for it. I hated myself for not being able to fit in the way I thought I should fit in. And as a teenager, going into my 20s and even into my early 30s, in my eyes, to be white was to be clean. And to be Asian or not white was to be unclean. Now, I don't think it's just people in my age group or my generation that struggled with embracing our racial and ethnic and cultural identity. Even my kids, who are no longer the children of immigrants, who grow, grew up in a time when K-pop uh, stars like BTS are blowing up and movies like Shang-Chi are being made, when there's greater uh, representation of Asians in, in media than ever before, even my own children have struggled to embrace their racial and ethnic and cultural identity. That's why they dyed their hair. That's why they wanted Lunchables for lunch instead of Korean food. And as I heard that, it broke my heart. And during this pandemic, when anti-Asian racism and violence exploded in a terrifying way, it was natural for us who are Asian Americans to wonder, what's so wrong with us that we would be the targets of so much anti-Asian hate, violence, and racism? So, to you who may be struggling to embrace your racial and ethnic and cultural identity as an Asian American, whether you're 5 years old or 15 years old or 55 years old, to you I want to say this. And please listen very carefully. God made you as you are. With your race, with your ethnicity, with your culture, with your skin color, with, the, with your hair color, with your eye color, and even the shape of your eyes. It is not a mistake. And you and everything about you is clean. No part of you is unclean. God made you as you are, and he loves all of you. Every part of you. And some of you need to hear that because you need to stop feeling shame over how God made you. Listen. White skin, blonde hair, and blue eyes, beautiful. But do you know what else is beautiful? Yellow skin, black hair, and brown eyes are beautiful too. Turkey, stuffing, cream corn, delicious. But do you know what else is delicious? Kirby kimchi and rice, just as delicious, if not more, my opinion. If you're white, you're awesome. If you're black and brown, you're awesome. If you're Asian, you're awesome. If you're racially mixed, you're awesome. And do you know why you're awesome? Because you are created in the image of an awesome God. That is why you're awesome. Every single one of you. Now, don't get me wrong. Our primary and our ultimate identity is our spiritual identity, that we are in Christ. That is the most important thing about us, that we are Christians, and we must rejoice and celebrate in our primary spiritual identity in Christ. But hear me carefully. But that does not mean that our secondary racial, ethnic, and cultural identities disappear. 
or that they're how, or that they're not important anymore. They are important because that is how God created you. And if God created us with our racial, ethnic, and cultural identities, then we should also be able to rejoice and celebrate those secondary identities as well, even though they make us minorities here in majority culture. Friends, your racial, ethnic, and cultural identity should be a source of joy and celebration, not a source of shame and self-loathing, because God is the one who made you the way you are with your racial, your ethnic, and your cultural identity. So the first implication is that we should never view ourselves as unclean because we are racial and ethnic and cultural minorities here in majority America. The second implication is this. We should never view or treat anyone else as unclean either because every human being is created in the image of God we must treat every person with respect, kindness, and love, no matter their race, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their nationality, no matter their culture. And when we get to interact with and associate with people who are different from us racially and ethnically and nationally and culturally, we ought to appreciate and celebrate those God-given differences. Think about this. All the racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity that you see in the world, guess, who, who, guess whose idea that was? That was God's idea. God is the one who's re responsible for all the diversity that we see in the world. And so as Christians, we must never look down on or despise other people because they're different from us racially, ethnically, or culturally. The gospel eradicates all in any form of racism and racial prejudice. And when the power of the gospel is unleashed in your heart, it begins to uproot and dismantle any racism that you may have internalized as you grew up. As an Asian growing up in America, I was taught both directly and indirectly from my Korean parents from my Korean-American community, and for media to believe that white people were superior. And also at the same time to believe that black and brown people were inferior. And I confess that to you to my shame. The power of the gospel is uprooting and dismantling those racist and evil beliefs from my heart and the gospel is healing me of my racism as the gospel leads me to continually and regularly repent of my racism. By the grace of God, I am a repenting and a recovering racist. God is healing me. You see, the gospel empowers us to not only affirm our own dignity and worth as image bearers of God, but it also empowers us to affirm the dignity and the worth of everyone else who are also created in the image of God, uh, no matter their race, ethnicity, nationality, or culture. So the, first thing that the uh, so the first thing that the story of Cornelius shows us is that the gospel is for the whole world. Here's the second thing. Everyone needs the gospel, even, quote-unquote, good people. Now, in chapter 9, we read about the story, the, the conversion and salvation of Saul. 
And in chapter 10, the very next chapter, we read about the conversion and the salvation of Cornelius. Do you realize like, what a stark contrast there is between Saul and Cornelius? They were as different as they could be. Saul was a Jew, and he was a very bad man. He was a violent persecutor of the church. He imprisoned and he, and, he, and, and he even killed Christians. He was driven by his blind religious zeal to destroy Christians. He was a very bad man. Cornelius, on the other hand, was a Gentile, and he was a very good man. Cornelius was a devout man who feared God, who gave generously to the poor, and who prayed regularly to God. Cornelius was an upright, upright God-fearing man, and he was highly regarded by the Jews. By presenting the conversion stories of Saul and Cornelius side by side, what Luke was doing was this. He was showing that everyone needs the gospel, both bad people and good people. You see, even though Cornelius was a good man, devout, upright, God-fearing, though he did many good deeds like giving generously to the poor, Cornelius still needed to be saved. Cornelius was a nice person but he was not a new person. And that's why an angel appeared to Cornelius and told him to send for Peter because Cornelius needed to hear the gospel. Cornelius needed to believe the gospel, repent of his sins, and, and be forgiven of his sins and receive the Holy Spirit. You see, if, if, if a good man like Cornelius needs the gospel, then we all need the gospel. You see, no matter how good or kind or wonderful you may be, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no eternal life. Now, the gospel says two things. First, the gospel says that no one is so bad that they are beyond the reach of God's grace. But it also says that no one is so good that they're beyond the need for God's grace. You see, it is not just sinful and immoral people who need the gospel. It's also successful and moral people who need the gospel. They may have health and wealth and beauty and material comforts and social status, but apart from faith in Jesus Christ, they do not have the most important thing, which is eternal life. You see, everyone needs the gospel, not just the horrible Saul's, but also the honorable Cornelius's. Now, some of you, can relate more to Cornelius than you can to Saul. Maybe you grew up in the church, and you're taught to be moral and good and responsible, and for the most part, you've been. You studied hard at school, you got a great job, you're working hard, you're making decent money, you're taking care of your family, and for the most part, you're a pretty good person. You've never done anything really stupid, anything really sinful, anything really scandalous. You know, you're, you have all that you need, and, and your life is pretty good. And you think, why do I need to be saved? Well, like Cornelius, even though you're living a good and successful life, you still need to be saved. You may have finances, but do you have the forgiveness of your sins? You may live in a huge house, but does the Holy Spirit live in you? You may have an extravagant life, but do you have eternal life? You may have a great retirement plan waiting for you when you retire. But do you have a great inheritance in heaven waiting for you when you die? As Jesus said, 
What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Some of you need to hear this. And let me say it plain. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Keith Green once said, just because you go to McDonald's, it doesn't make you a hamburger, right? Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you've been attending church for years. But that doesn't mean that you're a Christian. And just because you're a good person doesn't mean that you're saved. The gospel says all of your niceness can never save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus have their sins forgiven. Only those who call upon Jesus as their Lord have received the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've been going to church your whole life. Maybe you've been going to church for decades. And maybe you've never actually taken the step to put your faith in Jesus. You've heard about him over and over, but you've never personally put your faith in Jesus. And today, if that describes you, let me plead with you today. Believe in the Jesus that you've been hearing about for years and years, your entire life. Today, put your faith in Christ and all of your sins will be forgiven and the Holy Spirit will come into your life and begin to renew and transform you into the beautiful image of Christ. Today, believe in Christ and you will be saved. I hope there's not a man, woman, or child in this room today that leaves these doors without having believed in Jesus without having received eternal life, without having received the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, if you can save horrible Saul's, and if you can save honorable Cornelius's, you can save us. And I pray that every man, woman, and child today in this room who's hearing my voice that you would open the eyes of their hearts to see the glory and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that they might believe and be saved. Today, may today be the day of our salvation. It's in your name we pray.